Oh, hey, that's weird. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're we're not playing the music. Yeah, the music's not there. Oh, that's because we have some things to share. Oh yeah, announcements. Announcements. So, um, we are going to be at the Show Me Whitetails Deer Classic on March fifth. In California, Missouri, at the California Country Club, where um, we will be doing all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. First of all, you can come meet me, Stephen, or Casey Kimry. Austin will not be there due to uh, he's going to be training in Texas. He's too cool for us. Yeah, he's he's way too cool for us. He goes to <laughs> Texas, all right? <laughs> but we're going to be bringing our racks to show off. We're going to be bringing merch for you guys that um, like our merch, we got yeah. brand back new by merch. Po- back by popular demand. Oh. We got the hoodies. And we Some got hats. patch hats. Patch hats. And patch hats. Also by popular demand. Yeah. We won't get you know too crazy. You'll have to come see for yourself. But there's lots of fun to be had. You guys can meet a lot of really cool people here. Um, there, There's at least three people that are going to be there that are really cool. Yep. For sure. Um, already covered that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, come meet us. It's a free event, free food. There's going to be raffle items out there. There's going to be vendors other than just us going to be there. And, um, you know, we're actually going to be potentially bringing a 200-inch set of antlers with us. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, the Missouri Show Me Big Buck Club and Boone and Crockett official scores are actually going to be there to score deer. So we're going to find out if this bad boy is 200 inches or not and maybe bring your own rack and see if you have a uh, see what kind of yeah any booners are Yeah, bring your racks. We want to know if they're booners, all right? And we'd love to see them too and uh hear your stories about the hunts and and all kinds of stuff. We'll have the podcast gear there. Um we might be doing some podcasting there and all kinds of cool stuff. So Come join us on March 5th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in California, Missouri at the California Country Club. We can't wait to see you. We're going to go ahead and jump into this episode. We are sitting down with Amanda Haynes, and uh, we're going to talk to her about her trip along the Mississippi in a canoe. And it's pretty exciting, um, pretty unique, something different than what we've been doing on the 573. But it's a little bit of an adventure podcast. Um, I believe is pretty close to like 3,500 miles of river from the headwaters of the Missouri in Montana all the way down to Louisiana and the Gulf of Mexico. So there's a lot of twists and turns and a few um, oopsies. and We get into all that and uh, enough of us rambling. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers. And I'm Travis Owen. And on today's episode, we have a pretty unique episode in store for us. We are sitting down with Amanda Haynes to talk about her trip down the Mississippi River. And that's all I'm going to get into because I would rather her tell the story than me butcher it trying to introduce it. So Amanda, thank you for joining us for this episode. Of course. We're happy to have you on. First and foremost, you know... This trip, can you kind of tell us a little bit about what inspired the trip and a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I grew up um, here in Missouri, graduated from Branson a lot of years ago. Um, after that, I joined the Marine Corps, spent a few years um, there in California and Iraq. And after that, I went to school at Colorado State, got a couple of degrees. One of them was an MBA, a master's in business. And from there, I was very blessed to have a 10-year career in IT, in project management and business analysis, and uh, found myself last year, or now two years ago, as part of the IT layoffs, 
big COVID layoffs across the country. So um, rather than jump back into another job, IT is always hiring if anybody's curious. Okay. Um, I kind of pushed the recruiters off and thought about what I would like to do next. Um, Kind of along the lines of making your passion your vocation. So I grew up reading a lot of Mark Twain. My brother and I grew up playing in the woods, on the rivers. We did um, canoe trips all the time. So it's not a foreign thought to us, but between Mark Twain, Lewis and Clark, I mean, Jeremiah Johnson, there was a base there. So I kind of thought, well, when are you ever going to get four, five, turned out to be six months off of work um, and be able to fund something like this? So it was kind of kind of an opportunity I had to take. Well, it sounds like you've always had an adventurous personality and bounced around from place to place. So I can see a little bit now why this trip might have been something that you were interested in. So you listen or you read some Mark Twain growing up. Is that kind of what inspired a little bit about traveling down the Mississippi? Yeah, I, uh, a few years ago, IT took me to Bozeman, Montana, and that's probably the favorite place I've lived. Uh, the Headwaters State Park is there. So I actually trained for a triathlon there in the Missouri River um, years ago, swimming against the current. So I was aware of how the Missouri River comes to be. I think I've learned on this trip that a lot of people are not. So I thought, you could, I was curious to see if you could actually go in the water from Montana, the headwaters of the Missouri River, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And I hadn't heard a lot about that. So I started researching it and and decided that I could do that and that's what I was going to do. So in in your research, uh, did you find, was there very many um, adventurous minds like you that um, had done it before or uh, was it kind of just one or two people maybe that you heard of it or or how did that all you know the the Mississippi River gets a lot more traffic is what I learned the Missouri River since I want to say 1930 was it 1930 since 1930 I believe uh, has only had about 45 people do that uh, the full length of the, even the Missouri River. And in the last 10 years, there are five women who have attempted to do exactly what I did going from the start of the Missouri River to the Gulf of Mexico. So I'm actually in touch with a couple of them, which is really cool. Um, but there's there's not many. There's a handful. So. That's awesome. And And you said that five women attempted it, as in they were, they didn't get all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico? Sorry, there were five that completed it. Oh, okay. That's how many that made it, yep. I gotcha. And so kind of what took place and how you were able to plan for this trip? I guess you talked to people that had done it before. What equipment would you need? Um, kind of what, what was the trip looking like for you as a plan? How, how were you going about planning this trip to do it for yourself? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm glad you asked it that way. I stayed, uh, I think, I tried to stay true to what I was comfortable with, the gear that I was comfortable with. We grew up, I mentioned, canoeing and camping. And so that was where I started. And I kind of talked myself through it. Okay, now if you're not doing it for just three days, what if it's 100 days? Right. If this becomes lifestyle, what is it? So I just went through it checklist style and, and tried to think through it. I did some test runs here. So I actually sunk the canoe, I sailed the canoe here on Bullshoals Lake um, and down Beaver Creek uh, here around home. So we worked through some of the bugs and I made some adjustments to the gear, but that was the approach that I took is really what what do I want to be comfortable when a canoe is my house. Right. And it's smart uh, sinking it and doing the basically the emergency stuff that you would have to do on the fly um, before it ever happened as far as uh, keeping yourself safe because that that would be one of the, that would be the top priority for me if I was going out <laughs> um, but it's smart that you smart that you did that and how long did it take from the moment that you decided okay I'm gonna do this trip until you actually did the trip uh, I planned for it for eight months 
So I started planning in November of, gosh, 2020, seems so long ago. And then I launched in July of 2021. Very cool. Was there a certain time period that you were planning for and why did you plan for that certain time period? (laughs) Yes, I loved getting this question. Uh, My biggest lesson learned, I planned it for four months. Uh, The canoe is a lot slower than kayaks and the reservoirs are a wild card. You don't know what weather you're going to get. So I way underestimated the time that it would take me. So from four months, it ended up taking me 175 paddle days. Wow. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And just to be clear for our audience, you used a canoe um, and you were on your own. And did you spend any nights in hotels or anything, or is it just straight landing on shore for the night, camping, and then getting back on the water? Yeah, it was mostly alone. I did have my co-pilot. I got a shelter dog this last spring, Hank. So he's a two-year-old little pit bull lab mix. And he settled into the canoe life perfectly. (laughs) So he was great. Um... 90% of my time, I planned to camp, and I did that. I did a, I had a handful of times where I stayed mostly after the dams or where there were, there's a group called the Missouri River Paddlers, um, and they have what's called river angels along the way, people who live along the river, and they really want to help out. They're so generous, Uh, and so there were times that I would stay if if they had a house, if they had a hunting cabin along the river or a resort a couple of them even had resorts so there were a handful of times i i got to come off the river and experience the the luxuries of normal life for a night Hmm. so how did you uh how did you get in contact with these uh river angels i mean you said that there was a, a a basically a club that um, put you in contact with them, but how did you even, I mean, did you find it on the internet or? Yeah, I could have, if I'd looked, (laughs) Uh, I came to find out that people plan their entire trips depending on these river angels. So they plan from site to site to site. Uh, I still wouldn't do it any differently Mm -hmm. to be clear. I, I liked the way I did it. It was fulfilling the exploration side of things and the unknown that I was looking for, but it was really fun to meet them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, funny story. I actually ran into Norm Miller who leads the group Oh wow! and he was guiding a river expedition through the upper Missouri river breaks right as I was entering them. So I got a good sailing day. I had the sail up. So I was going for once faster than the kayaks Uh, But we got to yell across the river to each other, and he said, I'm going to send you a book. So he sent me the book. Um, Dave Miller wrote what's called The Complete Paddler, and he did a mile-by-mile analysis of the Missouri River. So anybody who's interested in doing this, go grab The Complete Paddler uh, if you want to do even a more concrete plan than I did. Okay, note taken. There's a wealth wealth of information out there. Hmm. Now, I think we kind of prefaced the trip a little bit, kind of how plans were taken and steps were taken to um, have a safe trip or as safe and well-prepared as you possibly could have. Why don't you take us along the trip, uh, starting from day one at the Missouri Breaks, working our way all the way down to the Gulf? Woo! (laughs) (laughs) It's only a (laughs) condensed 175 days into about an hour (laughs) you can uh you can take some of your favorite um days if you want to and maybe some of the factors that you had to face along your trip we'd really be interested in hearing the story or stories you'll have to buy the book for the whole story um yeah i uh when i put in it was it's kind of amazing to look back today and think about how uncertain I was going into it, just launching into some of the most remote territory that we still have in the world, uh, but definitely in the United States as well. 
and going out there and trying to pick campsites every night when you're limited by sunlight fading, it's just a feeling you don't really, you can plan for everything else. You can't really plan for that. So there's a stress there that I think it took a little while to get used to. And I thought I would be terrified. I thought I'd have a hard time camping. Uh, but I think you're so dead tired by the end of every day. Uh, you go out there and you're outside. Anybody who works outside knows the sun takes it out of you. Hard work. Um, by the end of the day, I think I was asleep most days before the sunset. So, uh, I didn't start seeing sunsets until, uh, it started getting earlier and earlier into the fall. So as I went through Montana, which is my favorite state, you you have these reservoirs. There are, uh, in Montana, let me think quickly, I think eight or nine reservoirs, and they're smaller until you get to Fort Peck, which is on the eastern side of Montana. And and Fort Peck and me don't want to see each other ever again. We're good. <laughs> I had 10 days straight of headwinds, really hard headwinds that I just fought for single digit mile days every day. Mm. And then, and there are no people around, there are no roads. So there's nobody coming. So you don't really have any choice except to continue to fight through that. Um, by the, by the end of that, I got, I found out that I had lost a lot of weight and needed to adjust the food. I didn't think I was going to have enough food planned out. So that was my first realization there. My hands also quit working. They cramped up so bad from the constant paddling, and I hadn't thought about that either. So there were a couple of things there that were kind of unintended. But I got to the end of Fort Peck Lake to where I only had 20 miles left to the marina. And a nice couple there offered to give me a tow with their big old bass boat. Nice. And (laughs) it was nice. And I was like, I'm not going to turn it down. Are you kidding me? been such a bad mental headspace at that point I'll take it but uh he got going really really fast uh, not fast for a bass boat but for a canoe 22 right. miles we learned a little too fast so the canoe actually buckled Ooh. and kind of flew up into the air and then down back into the water the wind was really heavy and it filled up with water uh but I mentioned the test runs I had done I was actually Everybody thought I was sick to my stomach and just panicking. And I said, I'm really proud of it because it didn't sink. It sat out there full of water and I could swim out to it and bail. And the fiberglass popped right back out. So I was lucky that it didn't actually break. Um, And we braced it and went on. So that was that was kind of the first. Oh, my gosh, are we going to make it through this? And from there, you have five more really big lakes. So North Dakota and South Dakota are just grudge matches. They're beautiful. I loved the country. The sunsets are incredible. There's nothing like them anywhere. But as far as not having current most of the way and being at the mercy of the wind is just, I've never seen anything like those two states. So the next 1,100 miles was not. I wouldn't classify it as totally fun. <laughs> well, you got off to a hot start. So, right. I mean, I, I guess I yeah. wonder how you got through um, whenever you figured out that food was going to be um, different than you had expected and then the hand cramping, how you were able to combat that and adjust to it. Yeah, the for the food, I had planned about 11 resupply packages. So I had those built and my parents, I had called ahead to different post offices along the river and just confirmed that they could receive general delivery packages. So they addressed them general delivery with my name on them, and then you can walk to the post office from the river and pick it up. As long as they hang on to it, as long as they're supposed to. The first one I was supposed to pick up, they sent it back literally the day before mm. I walked up to the door. And it was the first food I was going to have to add to so luckily I packed enough that we didn't get into trouble but for the total of the trip I knew I was going to need more so I had my parents bulk up and kind of combine some care packages for me what I had planned they kind of packed them together and doubled it so for the hands um I 
I don't know if anybody else has better ideas, but I just started stretching. You, Your hands literally are your number one tool out there doing this. So um, that day that that happened, I was paddling kind of with my elbow, <laughs> holding one end with the hand and one end with the elbow. Um, and that didn't really happen again. So there was some pain and there's still, I'm still stretching them every day to try to get them back to normal, but they're kind of like a, they're kind of in that shape. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> so, flexed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But then we got 2,300 miles in and finished the Missouri river. Um, I'm obviously from here. So we, I wish I had known of you guys then we would have invited you to some of the parties we had along the way. Yeah. Oh, no man. kidding. That would have been fun. <laughs> Missouri took longer than it normally would have, which was okay because I planned for all that. And then I got onto the Mississippi and the Mississippi, because I had it hit winter, just was not nice to me. It seemed like one thing after another went wrong. I was running into some tough situations. I uh, stupidly got caught in a little rock slide that could have gone really badly. Uh, But the core puts these dikes into place and, it's really a cleaner place to keep and unload your canoe than some of the Mississippi mud. Right. So I, I kind of trusting, um, my agility. I, I, I parked my canoe there a number of times with no issue along the entire trip. Uh, but this particular time it was cold and I slipped and a whole shelf of boulders came down. And so luckily I grabbed onto the canoe and, stayed above the water and that one ended fine the very next day though I actually lost the canoe which is uh the one day that I would say my life was really in danger with the weather being what it was the cold temperatures uh, and a nice farmer in Illinois got helped me get it back brought his john boat down and it the canoe actually hung up on one of the pilings in the middle of the river and so we were able to motor out and pull it back. Thank God. But yeah, I so I duck hunt a little bit on the Mississippi River. So yeah, so you're you're braver than I for going out on a with a kayak on the Mississippi River. I canoe. mean, canoe. Uh, or yeah, canoe rather. Because <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you are a very brave woman. I gotta say, because I if it's not uh, foam filled. 17 by 51 John boat with a pretty big motor on it. I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think the speed gets people into trouble more. Well, that's, that's the true. stories I heard, I think, um, I think I'd still take a non-motorized vehicle out there any day of the week. I just heard horror stories about going too fast and hitting a submerged tree or a mm-hmm. dike. And, you know, a canoe runs into those and we just kind of bounce and, go around it <laughs> right right yeah i just remember one one morning it was kind of storming and there were some decent waves out there and i was about 15 years old and we were crashing into the, each one of these waves and whenever i heard that you came down the mississippi especially during the winter months i was like there's no way <laughs> there's no way i could handle it <laughs> but anyways sorry sorry there's no way i would choose it again Right. Yeah, no kidding. Not in winter. So that brings me to a question as far as, you know, obviously people see this as an intimidating thing to do, and you being in the midst of it, was there any times where you thought you were going to give up and hang it up and, and not finish it? Never, Never thought I would give up the whole trip until some of those points on the Mississippi, if there was a road close, I think I would have been in danger. I don't know that I would have, I think I would have thought through it. And I'm, thank goodness. I have a family that gives me a little kick in the pants when I need it. Um, when I first told them about this trip, my mom said, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to know. And then by the end of it, when I was talking to her about potentially quitting, she said, you can't quit now. You're so close. We've, you know, made it too easy for you living here because they're within driving distance for 700 miles of the trip. Um, But they were, they said, you really, 
you really want to finish this, so whatever it takes. Well, that's a good support system because I don't know about you, but for me, if I knew that I had that out so close to me, it would have been even easier to try to take. And so you had to have a, a certain strong mentality to keep going despite knowing that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like you did face uh, uh, some challenges when you, you mentioned that, you know, your canoe, you lost control of your canoe or lost it and the farmer had to help you out. Um, after that, you know, how, how was the trip going after that? You were kind of taking us through there. Yeah, it's just, I think cold changes everything. If I look back, um, at the start of the trip, we were in triple digits and I remember complaining about that stupid me. (laughs) Um, and then it got down to 25 degrees and your, your whole world just changes when you can't stay dry and you're dependent on fires every single night. I mean, I lost some gear to fires trying to get close to them, close enough to stay warm. Um, but it's just miserable out there in sub-freezing temperatures to be out on the river. So I did meet a lot of duck hunters because I was still out there for deer and duck season in five different states. So they're the only brave ones out there that time of year. Right. Did uh, did you find any honey holes? You can text it to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Did anybody offer you up some duck for you for a no. little snack? Nobody what? offered you any duck? No. I can't Can you believe it? it? No. I'm usually offering it to everybody that wants it. <laughs> yeah, I'm disappointed. Especially yeah. if they know I'm going to be camping with a campfire that night. Right. That would be delicious. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> they said, ah, she's got enough freeze-dried stuff. She's good. <laughs> yeah. Peanut uh, butter and tortillas. Mm, <laughs> tasty. I'm sure after, like, the 20th time... It just, it gets old. It's really old. It's really old. So when the temperatures were dropping, did you get to any point where the river was frozen up and you were having trouble getting it down the river because of the ice? Or did that never ever happen? No, I didn't see any parts that were frozen. It may not be far enough into the year, but I think the Mississippi is so big that I've never heard of it icing over. Travis may have more history on that than I do. It will freeze up occasionally, but I mean, it's got to be dead cold for a long time. Whenever the river freezes up, like, I quit going duck hunting. (laughs) But it, I mean, it it will happen, but I mean, it's got to be negatives or at least uh, single digits for for quite a long time. Because that's a a lot of water moving. And uh, all the, first, all the... Um, marshes will freeze obviously and then the tributaries will freeze and then slowly the the uh, main river will freeze now i don't know about um south of st louis just because uh the missouri flows into it so it it probably gets i would assume it would get bigger um more water flowing but uh and also it's further south so there's a weird line it seems like that goes right above st louis to where uh, our weather seems to change and I don't know if it's because of the current the uh, wind currents that are going down the Missouri but it seems like that highway 70 barrier um, kind of is where uh, the cold weather just usually seems to be a little less severe um, but I don't know if it'll freeze down that much but I know here um, like Ellsbury, Clarksville, Louisiana area, it will it will freeze occasionally. But um, I'm sure you were probably really happy to get around Arkansas uh, because it meant probably quite a bit warmer weather. You would think it. Uh, I thought once I got past Memphis, it would be smooth sailing, but there were still days below freezing beyond that point. Not as many. Uh, but I think I think the difference is the winds get a little bit more intense the further south you get too. Right. So a fifty degree day even feels pretty miserable. And the humidity <laughs> too down there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so you're coming out um, around Louisiana. How is that? That's got to be totally different as far as whenever you're 
getting down into your southern states um, as far as wildlife and, and weather and all that. Um, did you have any odd experiences down there? Odd? Um, I don't know about odd. We only saw one alligator, and that was at the very end of the trip. He was out sunning himself. But he was a big guy, probably eight feet. Ooh. But I loved it. I loved the, even in the winter, I just think that scenery is beautiful. So Mississippi, Louisiana, that whole stretch. Uh, when I wasn't irritated at the river and the weather, uh was beautiful really and I got to stop in Vicksburg and Natchez I'm a little bit of a history nerd so I was really looking forward to both of those stops and I spent a couple nights in each uh, just getting to kind of tour the places so really loved loved those and then got some excellent cuisine in Louisiana I just love the food and people down there it's one of the most authentic places on earth so Absolutely. Once I got down there, I'm like, all right, you've done it. You're here. Just got to get through a few more days. And then I I decided not to go through um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge. So I turned off and took the old river lock, they call it. There's an old river channel that goes over to the Atchafalaya River, which is the ancient path of the Mississippi and it shifted about a thousand years ago is how I understand it. So the Atchafalaya River is much smaller and faster. And so from there, I was more trying to take my time because I knew family was coming down to meet me at the end. And it's like, you can't, you can't get there faster than you plan or you're going to miss everybody. So, right. So I know uh, we're getting towards the end of the trip, but I think it would be good you know, for the audience to kind of get an idea of what a normal day looked like for you um, from the time that you woke up until the time that you were trying to break down for camp, get get to sleep, ready for the next day. So sure. can you take us through that? It, yeah, it's not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of paddling, uh, I imagine. <laughs> it, a lot of paddling. You get up, you break down camp, you get everything loaded up, and paddle as long and as hard as you can and then get out and set up camp and literally every day was exactly the same in that way um but it i've heard a lot about monotony from in the blogs and stuff that i read before the trip people said it's it really just gets monotonous and i didn't i didn't experience that because i felt like every day was different in the challenges that i faced in the landscapes um i and i think some of that has to do with our perspective internally too as much as the external um but i mean some days barge traffic was really heavy so you're talking on the radio a lot of the time and that makes time go by fast and sometimes you didn't see anybody and there was no wind and it was just a glorious day to paddle the whole way through so it's kind of hard to describe why i think but i did not feel the monotony that i've heard described yeah i was gonna ask maybe how you kept yourself entertained on on maybe a couple of days where you weren't having any human contact or did you feel like you were <laughs> having human contact on a daily basis no 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 i walked into uh the bar at the end of Lake Sakakawea up in North Dakota and it was packed on a Saturday night and I stopped because I didn't know how to react. I'd been away from people so long. Um, But there were only a few days. I was really lucky actually that I could fight through a lot of um, the wind. So I only had four wind days that I was stuck. And on those days, you'll have to look at my blog. There's a picture of a rock castle that I built (laughs) one day. Another day I was um, researching sand drainage, so I was kind (laughs) of digging some sand sand channels and um, getting the waves to to do what I wanted them to do with the sand. Um, It's just amazing that, I mean, it's like being a kid, right? Yeah. Like we're out in the woods or building sand castles every day, so that, I mean, that's kind of how I approached it. 
there were a couple of those days that I didn't even have my cell phone battery was dead and I had no way to charge. And so you really are just sitting there staring at the dog and the dog staring back at you and you can only take so many walks. So, right. So what, um, I mean, I'm sure you had some interesting days that you've already talked about, but what was one of the, um, one of your favorite days across the board, like something incredible happened to you or something interesting or, or... I, I don't, I hate this about the light. I apologize if you guys can't see me. No, you're good. Um, I absolutely will never forget the day that I first broke 40 miles. There were very few days that I was able to do that. Um, and it was on, oh, now I'm going to get the lake mixed up, mixed up. It was Lake Francis case in South Dakota is what it was. And the wind was really strong and it was not, not the safest thing I've ever done going ahead and launching with the sail. There were a few times that I almost buried the bow in the waves coming. Um, and I was actually sitting up on the side of the canoe to balance it out because the wind was so strong. I was trying to blow over, blow the canoe sideways. So, and I don't know, I mean, at that point I just was so done with lakes and you're <laughs> at that point. You're about halfway done mileage-wise with the reservoirs, so there's nothing nothing but drive to get done. Um, so that that was a pretty cool day to get done with. Not necessarily fun to do, but it was kind of cool to stretch the bounds of the gear and of me and see what it was really capable of. Right, that's intense. <laughs> if you're sitting up on the side of your canoe to keep it balanced, hopefully Hank yeah. did his job and... Got over there too. <laughs> he, he slept the whole way. <laughs> you said he slept the whole way. He slept the whole day. Yep. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. <laughs> He's like, ah, she's got it under control. Yeah, that is trust. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So one one thing that you uh, wrote about in your blog is you said you uh, you tried to kind of collect uh, food. As you went along, did you like collect like mushrooms or nuts or or did you do no. like foraging or anything like that? No, I this trip wasn't about that. I would like to do another trip where I do more of that hunting and foraging. Mm-hmm. I think that would be one of my next bucket list things. But this one was really about finishing and finishing in a in a respectable amount of time. Right. So you don't realize or I didn't realize how really how long it takes to travel 3,300 miles without a car. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No kid. There's very few people nowadays that actually know what that means (laughs) as far as they can wrap their head around it. Cause that's, that's intense. Were there any days where the weather conditions or a certain situation with the wind wouldn't allow you to to go? Yeah, a handful. Um, I think there were three or four days that I stopped and couldn't go anywhere, couldn't even launch. Um, the lakes in particular, the waves turn into like ocean waves. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to even launch and keep your gear any kind of dry. So... Um, that in and of itself, even before you get onto the lake is dangerous. Um, and then there are other days that I got out on the river river where there's current and the wind was so strong that it would push me backwards before, I mean, faster than I could paddle. It's kind of amazing. The force of it, seeing that and, and it was easy. It was really easy to get, um, irrationally angry at it. Yeah. (laughs) So and and yeah so there were a few days that I actually did just stop and protect my mental health yeah that's totally understandable especially there's been days out on some tributaries of the Mississippi that we were hunting and uh it would we would break ice in an area throw out decoys and then wait for for birds to fly and there was one time that it the wind, like you said, was so strong. We were we were on the bank, 
but the wind was so strong it would push ice up the river and close their hole, hole off again. And that was I that was one of the days I I just will always think back and just it's wild how much wind affects things, especially even even if they are flat with the water, um, it'll make a current run backwards. Uh, yeah. and, and that's crazy for me. I'm not, uh, I don't get on the river at all. And so I don't really know much about the currents and the winds and all that. So for me to hear, I just assume you get on the Mississippi and it'll basically just take you down <laughs> to Louisiana, yeah. down to the Gulf. But it sounds like that that is definitely not the case. And there's a lot of factors to go into being able to get down the river. Which, yeah, yeah. Speaking of, you, you said something about uh, reservoirs and, and um, so are you pulling out of the river and then um, going around the, the a dam or did you have any of that going on or um, how did you go about that? Yeah, there's on the Missouri, there aren't any locks. So we joined the Mississippi south of the last lock on the Mississippi. Um but there are 17 different portages. Mm -hmm. There are 12 different reservoirs, but each one of those times you either have to load up in a truck or uh, my truck was there for the first few days. So I got to do the first few portages in Montana using my own truck. Um, but then, you know, a lot of the bigger lakes are, are walking portages that Go out. The longest one I did was 3.1 miles. Oh my gosh. Uh, and with the canoe on the cart. And you And it's not bad. It's not bad? No. If it's balanced perfectly, I mean, if you can get all the gear balanced, it kind of it holds itself. So you're really, I mean, the the worst part is getting it up those steep boat ramps. The boat ramps on these lakes are huge. So it's like a full 50 yards of 45 degree angle. So if you can get it up that, then the roads aren't too bad. And how much, how much did your canoe and your gear and stuff weigh approximately? I think a little over 300 pounds on average. Okay. So if I was heavier and I got all my water jugs loaded up and I think it's, it's over 400, but most of the times I think we were right between three and 400 total. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> was there anybody that you met on the trip uh, along the way that you're keeping in touch with now or build any relationships based off of that trip? Oh, my gosh. The people were one of the most unexpected joys of the trip. And I have a list of, I want to say I'm up to 25. I was trying to list them all out and get their addresses for thank you notes, but just such fun people and so interested in our history and the trip that I was doing and so encouraging and helpful. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I am keeping in touch with each and every one of them. Very cool. And that's so, you know, reassuring sometimes, you know, in today's world, you, you think, you know, people suck. So, you know, when you're out there by yourself and you're meeting new people and you're learning things and you're on your own, and eh, maybe it's not so bad out there after all. No, that's one of the big things I'm really trying hard to share a lot is I think this year in general has just reinforced for me how good and kind and helpful people are. So I'm not discouraged. I hope I'm sharing enough that others aren't either. There's hope. Um, now, so you, you get to the end of your trip and, uh, Kind of take us from there. Yeah, so I was pretty excited. My brother was able to break away from work and fly down uh, to Louisiana to finish the last day with me. So dad actually jumped back in um, and he paddled Yellow Bayou, which is 28 miles before the finish. So we did Yellow Bayou and then we pulled out and mom and dad and I went and explored New Orleans while we waited for... Matt, that's my brother, to fly in. Um, so I got to come off the river there, and then once he flew in, we jumped back in the canoe and did the last day. And the last day was 22 miles, and we go down a you go down a little winding, swampy, I mean, creek, really, um, called Hog Bayou. 
and they see a lot of gators in there in the summer months, but we, like I said, only saw one. It was still really, really pretty, um, but we had a perfect day. The weather was amazing, so we made it by early afternoon, cracked a beer, celebrated, did a little live Facebook video to, to let everybody join in, and and then as we drove back home, um, I got to hang out with, uh, have dinner with a family a family or a buddy there in Lafayette. And then we kind of drove back up the same route I had just paddled. And I got to introduce my parents to some of the river angels that I met along the way. And kind of, I signed a wall in Memphis and things like that. So it was really cool to see it from a different perspective, driving over the places that you just paddled. And I think the water was up about 10 feet by then. So it looked like a completely different river. Hmm. I was really glad not to still be on it. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And I'm sure you were sore and kind of recuperating a little bit. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm keeping busy. My parents have a working ranch here. So there's no shortage of things to help out with around the house. <laughs> I was going to ask, you know, how has life changed since you've gotten back? And uh, do you miss it? It's I miss parts of it. I, I really enjoyed the lifestyle of, I mean, you're, you're kind of stepping away. It's the weirdest balance. Uh, we used to describe deployments this way, halfway joking, um, that you get away from all your taxes and bills and everything. You just <laughs> go overseas. And so it's kind of it's kind of one of those situations where it was really hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And yet you're taking away all of the little distractions that we see in a normal life. So, so we are, um, Oh no, hold on just a second. We're having technical. All right. We're good. Okay. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Emails are coming in. Sorry. Okay. 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 Um, I lost my train of thought, but so you said I know you my... was like deployment yeah. almost and leaving everything behind and yeah. then. But it's really nice to have four walls around me and be able to take a hot shower whenever I want. I And so I'm not, I would never want to be back out there for that duration again, I don't think. But yeah, yeah you already are, did it. The, the sunsets and just a flock of birds taking off, I mean, all of that has, you have a new awareness to it, I think. It means something different now. A greater appreciation? For sure. So... You did this blog, um, and I didn't get a chance to read it fully, which I'm definitely going to after listening here and talking to you. I kind of didn't want to because I didn't want to know anything before I had gotten to talk to you about the trip. Um, where can people find that blog? Yeah, it's um, and I never give the I never get the URL right. It is if you search for my last name and a river adventure. It will come up, um, but if people are interested too, I can send you guys the the full URL. And if there's some way you can include that for your listeners, that that's how they can find me. Okay, we can um, include it in the description. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, there was talks earlier in the episode of maybe a book. I'll have to read a book. Is that something <laughs> that you're thinking about doing or in the process of doing? Yeah, I'm trying really hard. I think I've probably started 11 books in my life, and none of them have been finished. So <laughs> I've gotten so many people telling me I they want to read the book that I'm trying really hard to just go back through my journal and at least finish all my journal notes. Um, I don't know what will come of it, uh, but it would be fun, I think, to share the whole experience and not just the snippets that are in the blog. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting for a lot of people. I know uh, myself, I, I would be really interested in something like that. Um, you know, for those that don't always get to go on those adventures, you can find an adventure in reading through somebody else's experience, and I think it'd be really cool to hear from yours. Definitely. Well, I will be notifying if something does come of it on that blog. I'm going to keep keep that group posted so if they join the blog they will get those notifications okay well we'll be looking out for it and we'll definitely uh keep anyone that's interested on our end updated for it um 
any trips planned in the future? No. no? <laughs> she said, I'm still trying to still sleep recovering. in a warm bed. Because you just Never. recently got back from this trip, right? Yeah, like uh, January 14th, right? 18th. 18th. Yeah. I was close. So less than a month ago, and you're just getting back. So yeah, here still I am. just a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you don't plan on going up Everest anytime soon? <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about on the uh, off the trip that we hadn't mentioned so far? The only other thing I was thinking that I should do a good job, a better job of mentioning is I, so many people at the beginning of this were so generous and wanted to know how they could help me on the trip. And I, I had funded the trip. And so I had asked people to, instead of sending me money, send it to a couple of organizations that I'm a member of that I really enjoy what they do. Um, so there are a couple veterans organizations that if people are interested in supporting these or just, just educating themselves about what's out there, team Rubicon, uh, pulls veterans together and kind of certifies them to help respond to natural disasters. And they do that internationally. Now they've grown so much. Um, so that one, and then the other one is one that's near and dear to my heart. My buddy is the president of Real Warriors Foundation. It's R-E-E-L, like fishing. Mm-hmm. And they pull veterans together and provide a network and a support um, group, basically, of other veterans and uh, in the forum of fishing um, so that veterans get that support system and camaraderie back and then they in turn reach out and help their communities in which they serve so fun fun to just share about both of those and if people are looking to give rather than give to me or the trip um i i had asked them to give to those so well that's very, i know they have they have greatly appreciated the generosity of folks that's very noble and um we'll definitely look into those organizations as well just because anything to support the veterans, we're definitely into. And, uh, you know, you just, by you saying those names, hopefully people can recognize those names and donate if they feel willing to. Um, We really appreciate you coming on and telling us your story. And I look forward to reading more into your story on your blog. And I think for those of you that are interested in her story, we will publish the, uh, the blog and I think you go into a lot more detail about um, basically every day or most days um, about the trip and thing, interesting things that happened along the way. So thanks again for coming on. Um, and if you have any other trips, trips in the future, we'd certainly love to hear about them. I'll let you know. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Thank you, Amanda. And uh, we appreciate your service. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Sounds good. Take care, guys.